0: This past Thursday, Beth and I celebrated our 21st year anniversary. Can you believe that? 21 years ago, me and my 23-year-old self had no idea what I was walking into when I first got married. It has been harder than I thought, but it has been better than I ever dared to believe and to imagine. Who I am today. I owe to Beth, who I've been married to for 21 years. Think about it. 21 years ago, I thought I was just getting a partner to enjoy the good moments in life. Instead, I was getting somebody so that I can go through the hard moments in life. I mean, I thought I was getting just one person, I ended up getting five people because we have four daughters. I thought I was getting a set of arms to fall into the comforts of love, but I was getting a set of arms to help lift up the load and the heavy weight of life, to help me navigate through life. I thought I was just getting a lover, I got a counselor, I got a shepherd, I got a partner in crime. It has been way better than I had ever dared to believe and to imagine. And that's how our salvation also works. You know, most people that have come into the faith that experience salvation in Christ, they have no idea what they're stepping into. They don't know that it's going to be as hard as they imagine. They don't know that it's going to be better than they ever dared to believe and to imagine. Now, the Apostle Paul has been talking about our salvation in the previous chapters, what it means to be justified by faith and to be made righteous in Jesus Christ. And in chapter five now here, he talks about the benefits of our salvation. You're getting way more than you ever dared to believe and to imagine. Let's read Romans five verses one through 11. It's what the word of God says. Therefore, you get that? Therefore, because up to this point, he has talked about our salvation. Now he's given the application of our salvation, the implications of our salvation. He says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die but god shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners christ died for us since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of god for with For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Were you paying attention to the reading? Can't you see that the Apostle Paul is showing us that our salvation, the salvation that we have received in Jesus, is much more than a place where we go after we die. He says that our salvation has true implications and carries true benefits for this life. We have received so much more in Christ. How much more? Let's look at that first. How much more have we received in Christ? And then secondly, how can we know for sure that we have received all of those things in Christ? How much more? One, we have received here in the passage proximity to God. Our salvation has brought us close to God. Pay attention to the connection that exists between verses 1 and the very first verse that we read, and verse 11, which is the last verse that we read. Look at verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now go to verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I want us to connect the word peace to the word reconciliation. When the Apostle Paul says that through Jesus... We have received peace with God. He is not talking about the fact that because of Jesus, we now have this sentiment of calmness that we carry on the inside. That's a consequence. But the main thing that he's talking about is that because of sin, when you read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, see, man and women were created to exist in a relationship with God. That's why God created Adam and Eve. They lived in a perfect relationship with him. Now, because of sin in chapter 3 of Genesis, Adam and Eve had to be cast out of God's presence. They were literally cast out of God's garden. An angel was put at the door of the garden to protect them from coming back. And all of their children after that we're born with this state of separation between them and God. When you and I were born, we were born in a state of separation between ourselves and God. However, Jesus brings us the promise of reconciliation. He brings us closer to God by the work that he ha- has performed on the cross and on the empty grave. Because of Jesus, now we can approach God with confidence. When Jesus died, the text tells us in the gospel accounts that the veil that separated the holy place to the holies of holies, the place that only one person could walk in once a year, the most high priest, was now torn from top to bottom, exemplifying that we now have direct access to, God. Jesus now brings us into the presence of God. And as he says here in verse five, Jesus brings the spirit of God into our hearts. And that's why the apostle Paul says here that we now stand in verse two in this grace. See, that is a benefit that we now have because of Jesus. We can live our lives constantly in the presence of God, in a relationship to God. And because of that, see, peace with God brings peace, the peace of God, in our lives. Let me say that again. Peace with God brings the peace of God in our lives. Because our relationship with God has been now repaired, because those of us who are enemies, as he talks about in the text, far away from God, are now brought near to God as children of God because that relationship has been repaired. Everything else now benefits from it. It's like marriage. You know, I started talking about my marriage, but it's like a good marriage. See, when your marriage is going well, when you and your spouse are in sync, are on the same page in every aspect of life, as you raise your children, as you make plans for the future, as you make plans of how to spend your money. When you guys are in sync, when things are going well in your marriage, everything else in life tends to do way better. Even if things get hard at work, even if things get hard with a particular child of yours, a strong marriage allows you navigate through those situations with calmness and wisdom and poise. But if your marriage is a mess, if your marriage is a competition between you and your spouse, if you guys are not allies, but enemies or competitors, then you can be doing well at work professionally. Your kids can actually be doing well. You may have money in the bank but everything else in life will obviously be affected by that. And so our relationship with God brings the peace of God into our lives, into all spheres of life. See, peace is not the absence of conflict, but peace is the presence of God. And that peace ushers in something else into our lives, which is another benefit of our salvation, which is the joy of God in our lives. In verse uh, two, he, he says this, look, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and listen, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, this peace that comes into our life as a consequence of being reconciled to God now ushers in the joy of God into our lives. I was uh, reminded of a very uh, special quote by C.S. Lewis the other day as I was studying this passage and thinking about this topic of of joy. And C.S. Lewis writes this. He says, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. And obviously, he's alluding here to God. If you want real joy, if you want real power in your life, if you want real peace, if you want eternal life, you must must go to where it is found. You must go to the source of it all, and that is God. See, the word that the Bible uses for joy, kara, in Greek, kara. Some of you have uh, children that you have named them kara. See, this, this word kara is very different from our understanding of happiness. Christian joy is very different from happiness. How so? Happiness is circumstantial, but joy, kara, is Permanent. Look back at verse two, part B, and verse three, part eight. Look, and we rejoice. Oh, we read that already, but we will read it again. And we rejoice in hope, in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What is he talking about here? He's given us two aspects that our salvation ought to be able to fill us with joy. First, he talks about that we find joy in hope of the glory of God. What the Apostle Paul is talking about here is our future that lies with Christ. And therefore, as we think about what God is doing in our lives and in our world, that he's repairing all things, and that eternity looks like uh, a world that has been redeemed from all the mars and the effects of sin. He says that ought to bring joy into our lives. The good moment that's coming in the future ought to bring joy into our lives right now in the present. But he says, but sometimes in the present, our lives are characterized by suffering, by pain. He writes obviously to early Christians who knew firsthand that it was not easy to follow Jesus. They were persecuted for their faith. Some of them were arrested. Some some of them had their businesses boycotted. And he says, But even in our sufferings, we're able to find joy. Why? Because God uses suffering in our lives to build us, to make us stronger to build character in us. So this joy is not circumstantial. It's something that we are able to experience not only as we experience good times or think about that which we will experience in the future, but it's also made for the hard seasons of life as well. It's not based on that which we see. Happiness is based on what we see. When things are going well, when we receive the promotions, when our children are born, when we get married, when our kids get good grades in school, when uh, the stock market does well, or the crypto market does well. Joy is not dependent on that which you see. It's not based on the circumstances, but it's based on that which you know. Not on what you see, but on that which you know. And what does our faith tell us about what we should know and how it should affect the outcome of how we live our lives in the present? Here's what we know, that the bad things that happen in our lives, even the bad things, God is using them to turn them out for good. Romans 8, all things work together for the ones who love God. Jesus. God is working in our lives, not only through the good times, but through the bad times. As I said, it's producing endurance, and it's producing character. Uh, But also, we know, our faith tells us, that not only the bad things will turn out for good, but the good things in life, the best things in life, can never be taken away from us. Our salvation cannot be lost. The presence of God cannot be removed from inside of us because it was already secured by Jesus Christ on the cross and in the empty grave. And then our faith tells us that the best things we hope in glory, the best things are yet to come. See, this joy of God now breathes in hope in our lives. And the word that the Apostle Paul uses here in Greek is the word elpis, for hope, which is the word that the New Testament uses for the word hope. Not only the Apostle Paul, but other New Testament writers. Now, there's something interesting about this word elpis, hope. See, for, for, for us English speakers, the, the word hope is, is more like wishful thinking, so you're watching your NBA team play right now, and you're saying, you know, I hope that my team wins. Now, you don't know how the game is going to unfold. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if your favorite players are going to perform, but you hope that they do. You wish that they do. You don't know that, that you, if you're going to get the promotion or not, but you hope. You say to people, I, I, I just hope that by the end of the year that my boss would look at my performance, would evaluate my performance, and see that I am the worthy person to take on that spot, that new spot that they're opening up in the company. You hope, but you're not sure. You don't know how it's going to unfold. It's wishful thinking. See, in the Bible, the word elpis, that's used, it's translated as hope. It means certainty. The author of Hebrews, in, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 He he describes hope this way. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The image that he uses for hope, because sometimes this idea of of hope uh, can be too abstract. So he wants us to have a palpable knowledge of what the word elpis, the word hope actually means when we talk about hope in the Bible. He's saying this is a certainty that we have. It's like an anchor. What keeps a boat from drifting, even in, a rough, in, in rough waters, in choppy waters? It's, it's the anchor that's grounded, is, 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 has been sunk into the bottom of the ocean. See, while the, 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 the surface of the waters, they change in elevation, The ground is secure. It's permanent. It's not going anywhere. And here's this idea that our faith exists in the context of hope because it is based upon the promises of a God that never changes. A God that never wavers. Life as the surface Of the waters, they change based on the winds, based on the circumstances, but our God never changes. And it's through Jesus that we can rest secure and we can therefore live our lives in hope because of what? Because we know two things that he talks about it here in the text. Number one, we know that we are loved. We know that we are loved the Spirit of God pours love into our hearts. That's what he says in verse 5. We know that we are loved, and we know because we are loved that we're going to be okay, that we're not going to shipwreck, that we're not going to sink, because we have this hope as an anchor to our souls. And in the process between joy and hope, the connection here that he talks about in verses 3 through 5, in this in-between this in we are becoming stronger. We are growing. It is producing in us humility. See, because when you know that you are loved by God and that uh, you know, your welfare and your future does not necessarily depend on you, but it depends on him, that gives you an amazing sense of humility. Wow, God should not love me. I'm a sinner. We talked about that in the previous chapters, in the previous episodes of this series. But yet, I am loved by him. It's an undeserving love. It's a grace, like we read here in verse 2, that I get to stand on, that I, need to be, that I can be grounded in. But at the same time, it, it, it produces not just humility in life, but it uh, produces a whole lot of boldness. See, I, I, I am humble because I know that God is in control. And even if I'm going through sufferings in life, it, it, it is purposeful. It's for my own good. But because I know where everything is headed, because I know where my life is headed, where the future of humanity is headed, where the future of the world where where the end of history is headed. It affords me the ability to take risks in the present. It, it, it affor- affords me a courage that's beyond people's understandings. You know, the uh, C.S. Lewis used, used to say this, that the people that have done more for this world are precisely the ones who have thought most of the next. It gives us hope, an unwavering hope. Now, we said that this salvation affords us more than a place to go where we die because it gives us proximity to God in the present. It gives us the joy of God in our lives. It brings the ushers in the joy of God in our lives. It which actually breeds the hope of God in our lives. But the question is, how can we be sure that that's actually the case that I can enjoy today of these benefits that have been available to me today? It's similar to a marriage like mine. How do I know for sure that I have been blessed in these 21 years? How do I know for sure that I am loved? How do I know for sure that even though we will go through hardships, I think we have gone through a lot of hardships, and we will go as a couple through hardships. How do I know that things actually will turn out okay? For the same reasons that we know that things in the end, because of our faith in Jesus, will turn out okay. Number one, because of what we see on the inside. And then secondly, what we are able to see behind us. So there's an inward perspective and a past perspective that builds our assurance. So the first thing is we're able to look inside. And when when we look inside our lives now, what do we see? We see the presence of the Spirit of God in us. Look, let's go back to verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because of God's love because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us because of the reconciliation that Christ has brought between us and God. We talked about this. The Spirit of God now lives inside of us. What a gift, what a blessing, what a grace that is. And what we learn in the rest of the scriptures, and as we we try to understand here, verse 5, as he says that that the Spirit, you know, just pours the love of God into our hearts, we, we begin to see that the duty of the Spirit in us is to remind us on a daily basis, on a constant basis, that we are loved by God. Now, Here's what the circumstances will do. The circumstances sometimes will get us to believe that we are not loved by God, especially when the circumstances are adverse. When you're going through hardships in life, what do you think? How can God love me? How can God be by my side? How can this be fair? Where is God? Those are the questions that we are asking. And then we also have the enemy of our souls, The devil that constantly comes and whispers in our ears, especially in our moments of weakness, especially in our moments of doubt. He says, How can God love somebody like you? You're always screwing up, you're always messing up. See what's happening to your life? You gave your life to Jesus, and your life is now a disaster. (laughs) He works in sync with our sinful hearts that tend to forget how much we are loved by God. And now comes in the Spirit. And the Spirit's job is to remind us how loved we are by God. This is how the Spirit fills our lives, by the way. This is how the power of the Spirit is manifested in our lives. See, the, the Spirit doesn't just fill our hearts with just like supernatural power, like the force, like, uh, you know, Star Wars. It's not, that, that's not how it works with mystical, mysterious power. That's not how it works. The power of the Spirit in our lives, the filling of the Spirit in our hearts comes as a consequence of the Spirit filling our hearts with God's love. How? Reminding us that we are loved by God. As the devil is saying, look, see, God cannot love you. You're always screwing up. The Spirit always comes to your heart and and reminds you, yes, but because of what Christ has done, you are forgiven God has nothing against you anymore. God is no longer angry at you. If you are a Christian and you're listening to this, this talk, this sermon today, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes in the darkest moments of my life when I am questioning God, where, when, when I'm questioning why, that, you know, whether God can love me or not because of my own shortcomings, I know that there's going to be that moment where the Spirit breaks through and reminds me, You are loved. You are forgiven. See, the fact that you're being reminded by the Spirit of God that you are loved, that you are forgiven, that even though you may be going through hardships, that it's part of God's plan, that he's doing that for your own good. It's not to punish you, but to build endurance and to build character in your life. As the Spirit is reminding you, you know and you can be assured that you are loved because you hear that voice of the Spirit. You sense... That work of the Spirit inside of you, that is an assurance that all of those things, all of those benefits of our salvation are true and are real because you're loved when you look inside. It's like in in a marriage, right? I said it's, it's like a marriage. Why is it important for you to say to your spouse every day, honey, I love you. you hang up a call, but before doing that with your spouse, you say, I love you. Before you walk out the door, I love you. When you walk into the house, I love you. In different moments in your married life throughout the day, I love you. Why? Because unless you are reminding each other that you are loved, we tend to forget and how many times maybe your spouse has come to you and says, you never told me or you, you don't tell me enough that I love you. And you say, oh, I, I, but you know I do. But it's important that you do to remind because that's what the Spirit does to us. The Spirit is always saying on a daily basis, like a good spouse does, hey, I love you, I love you, you are loved, you are loved, you are forgiven. There's a purpose in this, hang in there, hang in tight. I am with you, you are not alone, you see that? So that's the first assurance that we have. That's the first way that we can be sure of these benefits. But then secondly, uh, we must not just look inside, but we must look back as well. Look at what he says in verses 6 through 8. Read it with me. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Paul builds the argument saying that you would never die for an ungodly person, an unrighteous person, or a person that's, you know, Doing evil, tricking others, taking advantage of others. Maybe you would die, the Apostle Paul says, for a good person. But Christ went beyond that. Christ died, not just for unrighteous people, but Christ died for his enemies. And that is the proof that we are loved by God. See, one of the greatest assurances, actually the greatest assurance that you are loved by God without a question is when you look back, when you look into the rearview mirror of your life, going back 2,000 years ago. I know you haven't lived 2,000 years ago, but God shows his love for you all the way back, 2,000 years ago. I don't know why you're going through what you're going through in life. I don't know why you will go through hardships the the reasons for it. There are reasons and God is doing something in us as we're going through hardships and pain and suffering in life, but we don't know the specific reasons because we don't know God's mind. We can't see his plan. But it cannot be because God does not love you. How could God not love you if he gave the life of his son for your sake? Not while you had it all together, not while you were seeking him, not while you were doing good, but while you were running away from him, while you were opposing him, while you were still an enemy, he gave his life for you. What an assurance that we have of our salvation and of all the benefits that follows. See, because of what I see inside me and behind me, I can look forward ahead of me knowing that because of Jesus, the best is yet to come. May God bless you today. May you be fed and enriched by his word. May you open yourself today to the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in you. And may you find out, may you discover as you continue your journey with Christ, may you discover the riches, the benefits of your salvation. And may you look back after a season, as I'm looking back 21 years into my marriage and say, it was harder than I thought, but way better than I ever dared to believe and to imagine. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for the salvation that has come to us, that since we have been justified through Jesus, we have now peace and proximity with you. That's why we can pray to you right now. That's why you will hear us. That's why we have access to you. It's because of that which Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. And, Father, let us find not just the peace that comes as a result of that reconciliation, but let us experience the joy and the hope that lies in our salvation. Father, may we be assured today that we are loved by you because of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.